The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Narratives of Purpose podcast. I am your host, Claire Morigande. On this podcast, I bring you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people who are making extraordinary social impact in their communities or around the world. So just like in the previous episode where I had a conversation with the co-founder of an eco-friendly African shoe brand, we will continue to focus on sustainability made in Africa today as well with yet another entrepreneur based in Rwanda. My guest today is Henry Nyakarundi, founder of the ARED Group, the African Renewable Energy Distribution Group. ARED is a pioneer in the use of integrating deep tech edge solutions in solar-powered kiosks. These solar-powered kiosks enable digital access to people in semi-urban and rural areas in Africa. Henry is also the author of the book My African Dream, And in our conversation today, he shares his journey as an entrepreneur and his views on innovation in Africa. Please take a moment to rate and review our show by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. But for now, have a listen to Henry's story and his commitment to change the African narrative. Good afternoon, Henry. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, good afternoon, Claire. Thanks, thanks for having me. So it's really, really a pleasure for me to have you uh, on the show because I've been really, you know, exploring and looking at uh, the role of technology and digitization at, at large to some extent uh, through innovation and entrepreneurship in the development of the African continent. And when I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn profile, uh, you describe yourself as a Pan-African at heart and also There's this other word, I, and you probably need to help me there because I don't know exactly what it means. Um, you describe yourself as a deep tech, so Kent or so sent. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. So let me, you know, pass it on to you uh, for some introduction and tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, deep tech, it's, it's like um, it's another layer of technology that combines hardware uh, and software. It's, it's, it's much deeper and complex. And so sent, it's actually social enterprise. But myself, oh. briefly, uh, I grew up in Burundi, uh, traditional story. My parents, uh, my mom, Rwandese, and my dad is half Belgium and half Rwandese. And then uh, in 96, moved to the U.S. with my sister after I graduated from high school. Uh, ended up in Atlanta to, to continue my studies. And uh, got tired of the U.S. and decided it was time to move back in 28, 2008. 2009, that's when I started working on the project to come back and finally came back in December 2012. But my, my, my journey is mostly in the entrepreneurship uh, journey. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur now for over 20 years. And now I, I'm a little bit more into passing the knowledge and empowering other entrepreneurs, the younger generation. I feel like there's a huge gap in passing on information and helping the next generation. And that's what I'm trying to do. So I, I see that you're not only an entrepreneur, but you're also thinking of the future and, and passing on your knowledge to the next generation. I think that is something I would also like to address, but perhaps at a, at a later point in the discussion. Um, first of all, 
uh, just tell me more about your um, your company. So I saw that you're the founder of the ARID Group, so African Renewable Energy Distribution. And perhaps to to link that into how I got to to know about you, I heard about you, I think it was about a couple of years ago or so when your book came out. And um, I also saw different uh, reportings in different media outlets on the smart solar kiosk. So tell me how that started and if that was the beginning of your company, the ARID Group. Absolutely. Uh, so ARED was uh, uh, an idea when I, I decided it was time for me to come back on the continent. I wanted to come back with a, a, a project, basically. And, I, and at this time, compared to my previous businesses, all my previous businesses were businesses of existing uh, uh, products or solutions. For example, the business I was doing previously to ARED, I had a logistical company, I had a trucking company uh, in the US, but I wanted to develop something from scratch. I've always been interested in, in, in technology, but I, I felt like uh, that would be extremely uh, interesting and challenging to come up with a product uh, from scratch instead of trying to you know, find a product in, in Asia and all adapted to the market. Uh, so that was the initial idea. Now I wanted to figure out which sector. I looked at different sector, but the, the energy sector initially was what uh, was very interesting. And 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 the kiosk. What I saw in the energy sector was a focus mostly on home system, home solar system. Uh, but one of the the problematic I saw was people were having problem uh, back then. That I'm talking about 2000 and 2009, 2010. The biggest problem with people, and it's still relevant today, was charging phone, but mostly charging feature phone. Smartphone came later. So mm -hmm. I, I was like, okay, it could be very interesting to have a, a, a solution that can charge phones on the go. So that was the initial idea of ARED. A few years later, I built the first prototype, moved to Rwanda in December 2012, brought the prototype, uh, tested it. But as 2013, especially 2014 came about, a smartphone was starting getting into the market and the idea of uh, access to connectivity was becoming more and more relevant for people. So uh, the idea evolved from a, a, a charging kiosk to a, a smart kiosk, providing not just charging functionalities, but also uh, services, but mostly connectivity. And then when I got into the connectivity space, uh, I realized there's huge problems in, in our network and connectivity. So that's where my new journey started at developing a, a new type of, of, of technology ca called edge, edge technology. Basically what it is, is instead of accessing digital application via the internet only, why not build a, a localized network where you install mini server closer to the user, whether it's within the kiosk or any other microinfrastructure, where you can store those applications on this mini server and distribute it via Wi-Fi. So it took another year and a half, uh, close to two years to develop that technology. And today we're the first company to have built a, a, what we call a smart solar kiosk. And we do more now because we also uh, help optimize existing uh, third-party kiosks 
on the ecosystem. But that's pretty much the journey. I mean, the first seven years of the journey has been about development, testing, failing a lot, and understanding the problematic. But it's truly a product that was developed specifically for the African market. I see. And just to come back on something that you said before about the development, you said that you came into Rwanda with, with this idea. So basically, you developed the idea before you came back to Rwanda. Uh, how did that work? I mean, did you come like with, with a prototype or did you develop the prototype on site with, with the people there? No, the first prototype took three years. So I didn't want to come and just sit around and wait for the prototype to be ready. So yeah, it, came, it, it was just a concept. So the concept actually came about when I, I used to travel a lot and I used to see uh, charging at airports where you can okay. charge for Europe and all. So yeah. I was like, it, it would have that type of concept, but in, in a, on the go, in marketplace, bus stops, where people hang and, and wait for their buses or, or go shop, shop. I was like, how can I bring this concept? So that's how the idea. So I drew on a piece of paper mm -hmm. the initial, how the, the initial product was supposed to look like. Obviously, I'm not an engineer. I'm definitely not a product develop, uh, designer. So the first design was, was not what it is today, but that was something that I already had in mind. It had to be mobile. So it's a kiosk on wheel. It had to be very compact. It had to be light, you know, and it had to be solar. Uh, so from there, I, had to, I hired a designer from Poland that spent three years designing, developing the technology, testing it. And finally, in September 2012, so I'm talking about, I'm st I started in, in, in uh, end of 2009. So September 2012, that's when he said, okay, the prototype is ready, tested, so on. Then I pack up my bag. I mm -hmm. sold my business, sold my house, sold everything I could sell, stuff I couldn't sell. I gave it away, bought a one-way ticket, and I just moved. And then I shipped, <laughs> the, prototype. I shipped the prototype from Poland to, to Rwanda. And it got here, and I got on the ground and started hustling. I mean, it was from day one, man, I, I, I started hustling. And, and obviously, when the product came, there was a lot of issue with the product. The product was not adapted for the market so on, so forth. I mean, it, hardware is the hardest thing I've done. Hardware business is extremely difficult. Uh, I was very naive about how tough and difficult developing your own product. Now I know why you don't see that many people developing their own physical products. But, but still, your product is evolving, obviously. As you said, it started from a solar kiosk, it was a smart one. Um, so not being an engineer and having to work with different people and facing the challenges you didn't know about because it was in essence not your area of expertise how did you go about all these challenges especially you know being back in a country where you hadn't been living in for uh, over a decade I suppose how did that happen for you and what did you do and how did you go around these challenges yeah I've never even lived in Rwanda ever I, I, first time I visited Rwanda was in 96 Then I left the first time I came back. But I mean, um, the process was a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, learning from the mistakes and, and, and just keep on grinding. Again, when you've been in business for this long, you develop a certain mindset of understanding that there's a process to everything. And I understood that if, if, if ARED was my first business, I would have quit a long time ago. But I understood the process of, of business. There's a process, and the process varies based on what type of business you're doing. The, the mistakes I've made 
Now, you know, it's always that same story. Uh, if I knew what I know now, you know, I wouldn't have done this and this and that. I should have got some expertise on the hardware side of things, solar side of things from, from the beginning. What I mean by that is finding either an advisor or, or, or bring a co-founder that has engineering and, and understanding of solar. I didn't do that. I trusted the wrong people in the beginning that did not a great job on the software side, the hardware side. But I always stay focused on the vision. Uh, and that's what you have to do. When, when things are not working properly on a day-to-day -day basis, the only thing you need to hold on is the vision. That's what's going to keep you going. And I hold on to the vision. I hold on. And, and uh, I'm glad I did because uh, of what it is today. And, and I always felt like if you quit today, you never know what could have, should have happened. You know, so that's also my mentality. But you keep pushing because you have to know that as long as you keep pushing, you're going to find a way to solve that problem. And sometimes it takes time. You know, uh, the edge technology took us years to fix. You just have to keep pushing. Uh, you push, you push, you push. Sometimes you pause to take a breather, you know, so the stress doesn't kill you and then you keep going. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because um, I don't know if it's pure coincidence. Today, when I logged into uh, to LinkedIn, the first item in my feed was a video that you had just posted. And you were talking about that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you shouldn't define your success as comparing to other people's journey. And your message, in essence, was, you know, if you have to compete, you have to compete with yourself. So I'm curious to know, was this the mindset that you had from the beginning or something that you had to learn the hard way, so to speak? No, yeah. I mean, you know, entrepreneurship is a very, very lonely road. That's why I tell all the young entrepreneurs. It's extremely lonely because you're fighting to build a business that you don't know if it's going to work or not. You're fighting to convince your friends and family because it's highly risky. So it's a fight. It's a fight in so many fronts. And sometimes... It doesn't take much to mess up your momentum. You know, you, your biggest tool is, is your mindset, how strong your mind is to deal with all those different uh, front or fights you have to take on. So it, it's extremely difficult. So you have to understand that the only person you need to improve to get to where you need to be uh, is yourself. And that, what I see is a lot of young men and women, especially men, young entrepreneurs, they look at success of other entrepreneurs, either from magazine or, or vlogs or, or this guy raised X amount of money, and then they define themselves or they define success based on that. And then when you do that, you set yourself up for failure because you don't know what that person went through. You don't even know that person might come from a rich family or might be much more connected than you. You need to focus on your own journey. It might take three times, you know, it, it, it might take you 10 years, 15, 20 years to achieve your goal, but who cares as long as you get there. But you have to find a way to improve you. And to do that, you have to find a way to compete with yourself and, and find a way to, to say, okay, I, this is how I was yesterday. This is the mistake I've made for the last two weeks. I'm going to mitigate and eliminate that aspect of, myself that is weak on this 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 point to be a better uh, entrepreneur in this particular thing so if you stay true and focus on yourself there's no way you're going to fail but if you start comparing yourself with others i mean you you just gonna end up quitting for sure 
Yeah, that's really some great advice. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, coming back to the, to the smart kiosk and to your company, you told me that you are now in five markets, so in West Africa and, and East Africa. So which countries are you operating in right now? So in Rwanda, Uganda, Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, and we just started in Ethiopia. And uh, hopefully uh, before the end of the year, we should be in Nigeria. So what has been your, your impact since you started? Now, obviously, you've grown, you know, you've expanded, you started in Rwanda, and now you're in five countries. So how can you describe the social impact you've had with your business? Yeah, so if we define by impact, is, uh, we, we usually define it through two sets of impact, the direct and indirect impact. Uh, uh, obviously, our technology evolved, but also our business model evolved, and maybe I can elaborate on that. Um, but as far as impact first, we've had the direct impact we've had is the job creation aspect. Mostly we have a focus on women and people with disability that operate those kiosks and generate the revenue from those kiosks. The indirect impact is the customer that come to use the services from our kiosks. We serve uh, since for the last uh, uh, six and a half years over a million customers across three markets. So our business model has evolved and have changed. So I always had in mind of expansion. What I didn't factor in is how difficult and how fragmented the African market is. It still is, actually. And having a great product is one thing, but you have to have a very innovative business model. And I also spent a lot of time developing the right model that will allow us to expand quickly without having to raise so much money. Because a lot of the mistakes a lot of company makes, uh, they, they, they expand, but they have to raise money continuously because they set up shop and teams and all that in every markets they go into. So I had to find a way to uh, uh, mitigate that aspect. Because when you build a social enterprise, usually you usually cater to low-income people, what they call the, the base of the pyramid. The, the, the mm -hmm. people making less than $5 a day. That's the true social enterprise. So you're bringing a solution uh, that is sustainable. It has to be sustainable, which is the opposite of an NGO. It's a sustainable that has an impact at the base of the pyramid. The challenge is when you deal with the base of the pyramid, you're dealing with very low purchasing power. Mm -hmm. And there's no way, I don't care what people say, there's no way to squeeze more money from someone that earn only $5 or $10 a day and they have to pay school fees, uh, put a roof over their head, uh, buy food. That's their bare minimum. They don't have extra money to buy extra stuff. So you have to have a very innovative business model. But in our particular case, we realized instead of trying to monetize our solution from the customer standpoint, why not work with organization, businesses, telecom, fintech that need a smart solution to, in, to build a distribution channel across the continent. So that was a game changer for us. And then the second game changer, of course, was how do you set up shop in those markets? Uh, do you set up shop physically yourself? That's suicide. Because again, it, it costs a lot of money. You know, the first expansion we did was in Uganda. Uganda is totally different than Rwanda uh, in a lot of ways, tax-wise, mentality-wise, business-wise, so on. So just to set up shop, understanding the market, 
finding the right people and all, you you'll end up spending uh, over a hundred thousand dollars without even seeing a dime yet. So uh, you have to develop what they call a partnership model. So all those things came from again failure and trying a model that doesn't work, so on and so forth. Now that's really interesting because even just what you described with. Uh... Rwanda and Uganda, I couldn't even imagine how the, you know, implementing uh, yourself or setting up shop in, in West Africa has been. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I always uh, catch slack for this. West Africa is my favorite marketplace. I, I love the West African market. Why is that? Uh, again, mindset. They understand business much better than East Africa. I feel. That's my personal. I can give you a lot of story. I mean, you know what? Rwanda was my toughest market. And again, because of mindset, you know, partnership between big companies and smaller companies, we not do, we, people don't do that here. We don't have that understanding of business and partnership and building something uh, through partnership. You know, everybody tend to do their own thing. And don't get me wrong, things are changing a little bit, but um, I like markets that have the, the right mindset. Regardless of the challenges, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of challenges, but when you want to do business and you, you do business in, in, a, in an economy where people understand business, understand value of a product that you can bring that has an opportunity to generate money and we can work together and they understand, you know, uh, um, long-term vision compared to short-term vision, it's a whole nother ballgame. It's a different conversation. So yeah, you know, each market will react differently to your product. Some market will be highly successful. Some other market will be uh, medium. And some other market will might, not, might not be successful at all. But you always have to push the envelope and go and, you know, try your luck. You know, we, I, and I try, that's why I spend most of my time on traveling, looking for partners and looking for new markets to enter in. So you talk about mindset as a key component What other needs or gaps do you see, maybe generalizing or in specific areas on the continent, that need to be addressed to foster innovation? The biggest issue I see, first of all, we need to separate local, when I mean local, uh, it's, it's innovation run by Africans and innovation that are run by foreign companies doing business in Africa. What's happening today, and that's been one of my fights, is that we as Africans are not participating enough in innovation in our own continent for several reasons. Because our governments, and I'm talking about African government, everywhere, we tend to facilitate access to foreign investors uh, or foreign companies that bring innovation in Africa instead of trying to uh, support local innovators. You know, and that's Fundamentally, that's the biggest issue. Uh, if you look at a lot of the, the contracts that are given from governments, they're always given to foreign companies. And the, the, the argument is always this, those companies come with resources to achieve what the government is trying to achieve. But, but when you look at that deeply, you realize that at the end we lose. Because if somebody comes and bring $30 million dollars, in, in a country for X, Y, Z, that $30 million as an investment, well, guess what? In 10, 20 years, the money they're going to make in that country is going to leave the country. It's not going to stay. I mean, because most of those companies, even though they have subsidiaries in those countries, 
their group structure is always outside Africa. So when they bring back the money, they bring it back outside Africa. But mm-hmm. when you when you empower a local innovator, he's not going to go anywhere. That's his country or her country. You know, you're empowering that person, the jobs, the 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 IP. You know, the less than three percent of the IP are African for a reason. You know, so there's a lot of issues. But my biggest one is the governments across Africa have not put structure to support local innovator properly. Not only support them locally, but support them to expand outside. If you look carefully at all the countries that dominate technology-wise, innovation-wise, they have one of my one of my one of the country I, I look up to when it comes to innovation specifically, innovation and their policies and and and, and their strategy is Israel. You're looking at a country that is six million people and they have and they innovate in all sectors, agri, uh, any technology, drone, so on, so forth. Why? Because they have a department solely, a department solely to help their local company expand outside Israel. That's their job. That's the job of the company. We have no such structure in Africa that I know of. You know, if you're an innovator, you want to expand, guess what? Yeah, you can join some uh, the uh, some sector federation and all, but they don't have a vehicle, a real vehicle. If you tell them, I want to go to Nigeria, I should mm-hmm. be able to uh, have a, a contacts and a structure in Nigeria to help me maneuver within Nigeria. No, I have to go there and figure it out and build my network and all that. That's why it takes so, so long. And you see that all across Africa. If you look at all the conferences, we have mostly conferences between the West and Africa, but you rarely see conferences between East Africa and West Africa, or North Africa and West Africa, or so on and so forth. So until we change this attitude, uh, we'll just be spectator. We're gonna miss out on this fourth revolution. And you know, and that's just the reality. And you see it on the news. If you look carefully on all the innovation you see on the news that is labeled African innovator, mm-hmm. you know, they're not African innovation. They're foreign. But they, they have a strong PR. They're able to label themselves African innovation. For me, an African innovation is either the owners or the co-owners are Africans or the IP and the group level stays is in Africa. Okay. Those are the, and we need to define that very clearly. And today it's not, it's not there yet. But are you optimistic, though, that this will come? Because, I mean... If you're able to speak about that and, and recognize that and show the, you know, the gap where it is, and I believe you're not the only one because there are certainly some other entrepreneurs on the continent as well who certainly think the same thing. Are you optimistic, though, that this is going to change? Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll vary per country. Like Ethiopia, for example, is doing a very good job at protecting their market. You know, when you, when you want to do business in Ethiopia, you have to have an Ethiopian partner. Uh, and they, they're using what China did. That's why China is what it is today. If China did not do what they did by forcing foreigners to work with locals and share their IP, China would not be who they are today. China understood. Now, am I optimistic? Absolutely. Am I optimistic on a continental level? Of course not. But I know some country will get it faster than others. Uh, but overall, there's a lot of things that are changing in the right direction. Uh, it's just going to take time. Am I going to am, 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 am experience that in my lifetime? I don't think so. 
But will my kid will? I think so. We just need a new generation. I think there'll be a new generation of leaders that will understand that, and hopefully we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll catch up. Because right now we're playing catch up. No, I agree with you. I think the next generation of leaders is definitely going to influence this in in the right direction and provide more ownership and more. I would say more presence on the stage, on the global stage for, for African countries. But coming back on something that you just said, you, you mentioned that you're, you're planting the seeds for the next generation. And I'd like to, to make a link to, to the book that you authored. I think it was a couple of years back, 2019. The title of the book is My African Dream. And it seems that it's kind of a biography, right? You're, you're talking about your journey as an entrepreneur living in the U.S. and then coming back on the continent. So how did you start this venture? Why did you write a book, basically? Yeah, the book is an interesting story. I was horrible in school and in writing and all those things. But the book was really, initial book idea was going to be a biography of my successes and failure in entrepreneurship. Um But when I came back and I started talking to a lot of young men and women in, in, in high schools, universities in the region, I realized how our perception of the West is still ingrained like it was in my generation. Like when I was growing up as a teenager, our dream, me and my friends, was to get out of Africa and be in America, Canada and all that. And then when I came back, most of the question I was getting from those kids was, why you came back? Did you get kicked out or did you run away? Why are you coming back here where we trying to go there? So I wanted to share on top of the, my, my business experience, I wanted to share my journey in America, which was a tough journey. Uh, I was homeless at one point. I, I went through uh, 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 some tough, tough times. And the perception we have about the West is a perfect perception where you land and you, in a few months, you can become rich. And I realized one of the great things that America uh, has, and they have, don't get me wrong, I, I learned so much from the U.S. So I, I can't, I'm not trying to knock that country down because it gave me so much. But one of the things I learned is that regardless how tough that country is, one of the things they instill in the people is the dream, the, the potential dream that you can be somebody. And that's what we need to bring to Africa. And that's why I called it my African dream. You know, so I wanted to show that there's a dream in Africa. We, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's tough to achieve. It's tough to get it, but it's tough everywhere. It's not easy in the West. It's getting harder, <laughs> especially for yeah. black people you see on the news. So there's a dream everywhere. And it's a dream in Africa. We need to instill that in our young generation, in our kids. There's a dream on this continent. There's a dream that can be achieved. You can be anybody. You can achieve anything. You just got to put your mind into it and be focused and work hard. You know, and that, that's really what the, the big idea behind this book. And how was the, the book welcome? Did you get some some feedback from readers or you know the reviews and things like that did you did you get to know about how people welcome that book yeah it's interesting when you write a book you, you become people look at you a little bit differently uh, <laughs> that was not my intention but overall was was well received i mean you know people there's a lot of things in the book that people didn't know about me there's a lot of things in the book that i don't share people know especially the people 
the young generation, I know me now from the vlogs and all that, they have this perception of this guy came, achieved and all that, but they don't see the failure. They don't see all the mistakes I've made, all the troubles I got when I was a kid. That's very important because a lot of time we talk about success and I'm this and that, but mm -hmm. I love talking about failure because I think that's when you can relate to somebody because everybody go through trials and tribulations at some point in their life. Everybody, yeah. I don't care who you are. Absolutely. No, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, it's always very important also to to share the whole story, to be transparent and to say, you know, maybe I'm successful, but this is how I got there, you know. So people need to know that the road is tough. But as you say, if, if you have your, your eyes on your vision, you can make it. And, and, you know, more accounts like these are also very important for younger generation to understand what it takes as well to get to, to your dream, as you say. My, my mother-in-law told me I was way too transparent when she read the book. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people you know about me. She was like, wow, Andrew, you're very transparent on this one. I was like, yeah, man. Now everybody had a different reaction. My mom had an interesting idea because my mom knows me. Because I, I, I speak a lot about my mother in there. You know, she's, she's, she's my, actually, she is my biggest inspiration. And yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, it's good when your parents start look. You know, say, "Okay, you, you did good. You did good." So that was uh, that was another thing also important for the book to make sure that she recognized all the sacrifice she made and all that. You also talked um, about the the vo the vlog, so the video blog, and I noticed because now I'm you know I'm following you a lot also on LinkedIn. You post this uh, short videos, and you kind of instill you know every now and then some tips and tricks again thinking about the next generation so why did you choose to to use this medium i would say i mean you had your book out there why did you need to have another way of connecting with people yeah because uh, you know social media is the best way to reach as many people as, as, as uh, you can number one number two i couldn't find a vlog from on an African perspective from an African talking about the in and out of businesses. That's what kind of motivated me to get into that. And again, when, when I started my journey as an entrepreneur, before even the, the YouTubes and all that, I used to buy motivational DVDs and videos to, to stay focused. To see, it's, Like I said, it's a lonely road. So when you hear for a third party, you always used to help me. When I, when I hear somebody sharing a tip and something I never thought about. So I felt like, wow, I can do the same, but add a little bit more substance to it, meaning adding my real experience and, and adding some insight that maybe somebody else would not really share. So my favorite feedback I get from people is, man, I, thanks, man. I needed that today. Or thanks, man. It really allowed me to, you know, look at things a little bit differently. And funny enough, well, not all the time, but I, I when I when I'm down and I, I'm not I'm feeling a certain way, that's when I most of the time do those vlogs. Because I, you know, I always say there's four levels to motivation. Uh, you know, there's unmotivated, motivated, self-motivated, and motivator when you start motivating others. So I feel like now I have the opportunity to try to motivate others, but also motivate yourself, because even if you can motivate Others, you should be able to motivate yourself because tough time always going to be there, regardless how successful you think you are and all that. So, so I use also those time to make those blog to, to boost back my energy also. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> That's good to know. 
<laughs> that you can basically motivate yourself by motivating others. <laughs> it's very easy to get in the dark space. So every time I get into a, a bad space, boom, I think about a topic I want to talk about. And that helped me get to, to a better space so I can keep on doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, yeah, I always try to look for tools also too. Because you have to stay motivated. The, the, the day you stop motivating yourself, that's the day you either retired or you quit your business and look for a job <laughs> or something, man. Uh, and I'm not there yet. so Exactly. So that, that was actually one of my next questions. I, I mean, I, I fully understand that you're nowhere near retirement, but you were already looking ahead, you know, by, by mentoring and supporting the younger generation. What what is in the future for you for your company at this point for Arad? So you said before you're in five markets. What is your ambition and you know what what do you want to achieve in in the in the future? Yeah, so now we are the scaling as far as they read. We are the scaling level now. So uh, our target is to add two countries every year uh, to get to a point to exit the company. My goal is to sell the company at some point. Uh, um, and to you know work on some other projects that I have in mind. Uh, same in, into the, the the social enterprise, but more on the agribusiness. I'm I'm very passionate about this uh, green uh, journey we're going to. I see how the world is this this planet is being destroyed by humans at a rate that we never seen before. And and I see that agriculture is going to play a really big role. As a matter of fact, agriculture and water. water mm -hmm, resource. Absolutely. Uh, and I believe that uh, there's a need, a huge need of new technology into that space to overcome this, this global warming. I mean, uh, uh, you know, like desalination technology, uh, growing food with 90% less water, with mm -hmm. no soil. Those are the type of technology I'm really... I'm really excited about. And this time, I don't want to develop anything anymore. I've, 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 <laughs> I've marked that in my bucket list. I'm good. I just want to see how to improve, especially in refugee camps. You know, one of the biggest things, because we operate in refugee camps, one of the problems with refugee camps is they're still dependent on food from donors where mm -hmm. they can grow their own food in those, in those camps. They can only grow their own food, turn some of that waste of the food into energy for cooking. So there is solution already out there to solve most of our problem. It's just that they're not solution at scale yet. And my job is really to bring those solutions at scale, at least on the continent. But A-Red, I mean, like I said, uh, we, we're on the growth stage. Now it's just a matter of, uh, we're actually in the middle of uh, fundraising right now uh, to enter the Nigerian market. But uh, uh, now I'm planning my exit uh, for A-Red. I can see uh, where your passion is. So, um, Henry, I mean, for me, it has been really a great pleasure to talk with you today to, to get to know more about what you're doing and to, with your company, with A-Red, and also um, to know about your journey as well. Because I have been like following you from afar, but never had like a direct contact. So thank you so much for, for joining me today and, and for sharing your journey with me. No, thanks very much, Claire. And I, I love what you're doing also. Uh, uh, keep up the good work, man. I, I truly believe this is uh, all of us are planting seed for the next generation uh, in our own ways. And that's the key. We need to start thinking about others, especially the young generation and 
because you know, as, as everybody knows, they're the future. And, and if we just turn our back and think about ourselves all the time, we're not going to make it. So, congrats on you also. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, it's all about the next generation. Yeah, we're just passing here, and we've had our time, but uh, the ones coming after us have even longer. That was episode 13, a conversation with Henry Nyakarundi. Henry is definitely a Pan-African at heart, dedicated to mentor and to be a role model for the next generation. His book, titled My African Dream, One Man's Journey Back Home, is available in online bookstores. Do check it out if you want to learn more about Henry's personal experience living in the US and his journey back home to Rwanda. You'll also find in the show notes the link to Henry's video blog, where he shares nuggets from his journey as a social entrepreneur. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to this new episode. I appreciate you taking the time. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter or stay updated through our social media handles. We are on LinkedIn, Instagram, and now also on Facebook. We look forward to continue engaging with you on all our platforms. Tune in again in two weeks for the next episode. Next month, we will dive into a new theme, namely Tech for Good. I will be speaking with several founders, some from education technology startups, and a couple more transforming the use of personal healthcare data or supporting women in tech. So mark your calendars because there will be weekly releases of our episode throughout August. Until then, take care of yourselves, stay well, and stay inspired. This podcast was produced by Tom at Rustic Studios.